I'm Caleb Brown, host of the Cato Daily Podcast, and I'm taking this time to ask you during the month of December to financially support the Cato Daily Podcast and the broad mission of the Cato Institute to advance liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and support us this holiday season. This is the only time of the year when I make this request, so I'm adding something. If you support Cato to the tune of $1,000 or more, I'll give you a shout-out on the podcast, or you can designate someone else to receive all the benefits of that donation. Just visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to get started, and thank you. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, December 20th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Late on Tuesday, the First Step Act, a substantial prison and sentencing reform, passed the U.S. Senate. It has support from a broad range of interest groups and, perhaps critically, the president. What's in this reform? Why has it apparently taken decades to achieve? Sean Hopwood is a professor of law at Georgetown University. We spoke yesterday. This is the first significant rollback of any mandatory minimum sentencing at the federal level in at least 20 years, or is it ever? Well, I think they cut back on one one provision in 2010, which they then did not make retroactively applicable, and the First Step Act actually makes that retroactively applicable. But and it th is this was the crack to yes. co powdered cocaine disparity in sentencing that we saw such profound effects on yep. in terms of racial disparity uh, in sentencing in that area, right? There was, and this is the first bill that beyond that one that significantly reduces several sentencing provisions that had mandatory minimums, and it's the first comprehensive prison reform bill of my lifetime. I, I tell people it's both things at once. It's both modest reform on the one hand and on the other, the best federal criminal justice reform bill to come out of the Senate in my lifetime. All right. That's fair. Uh, so what else is in it? So, I mean, the main provision on the back end, the prison reform side, is that it forces the Federal Bureau of Prisons to put in meaningful rehabilitation programs, evidence-based programs. Um, the Federal Bureau of Prisons mostly just warehouses people now, which is why they have such a high recidivism rate. And it ties those programs to incentives that if people take the programs, reduce their risk of recidivism, they can end up serving part of their sentence on home confinement or in a federal halfway house instead of federal prison. That's the big piece, but it's got several other smaller pieces. Why did it take so long? You know, what, what has changed since the mid-1990s when we saw really significant get-tough uh, policies during the Clinton administration? What's changed? Well, I think on the policy data side, what's changed is we have a lot more data now. And what we know that we didn't necessarily know in the 90s is that the link between incarceration rate, the number of people we lock up, and the crime rate is not nearly as strong as we once thought. And we've seen that because what, what the other significant move was that several states led the way on reform, Texas, Georgia, California. And what they did was both reduce their prison population and watch crime go down. And so that senators, Senator Chuck Grassley said, 
that what changed his views on this issue was watching the states do this reform and watching it be successful and watching it not lead to a decrease in public safety, in fact, an increase in public safety. And that's really what changed politically. And so for Grassley being sort of a uh, canary, if you will, of, of uh, leading opinion, uh, watching states that are, let's be, let's be clear, diverse states, California, Texas, and Georgia, don't all three have a lot in common politically, at least recently. And um, so, you know, in he Chuck Grassley was one of the leaders of the Get Tough movement. I know. If you would have told me ten years ago that Chuck Grassley would be leading the charge on sentencing and prison reform, it would be like telling me today that in ten years from now, Jeff Sessions is going to lead the charge on deregulation of marijuana. I just simply would not have believed you. Uh, he was so bad for so long, but eventually, you know. As any good politician, he saw the data and changed his views. And that's, you know, we want that in people in, in the U.S. Congress. So uh, this was called the First Step Act. Of course, these acronyms uh, that are applied to legislation are always uh, sometimes tortured <laughs> to make the words uh, fit the, the words that they want to spell out. But uh, to the extent that this is a first step, what does step two look like and what appetite do you see in Congress for that, whatever that step two might be? Well, I think step two um, is going to be concerned with implementation of the First Step Act uh, from the White House. And I think they're going to put some time and effort into making sure that this is implemented correctly in the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Um, I also think, you know, there is, is all sorts of things that the White House can do without legislation to improve the federal prison system, and I'm hopeful that they will do that. On the legislative side, I mean, the sentencing reforms in this bill didn't go nearly far enough. They didn't go nearly far enough to really significantly reduce the prison population. They didn't go nearly far enough to reduce the racial disparities of people serving time in federal prison. And honestly, because there were so many exclusions in the earned time provision, I do have a little bit of concern that, that, that the First Step Act won't reduce recidivism as much as it could because it puts all of the incentives and gives that to people that are low risk of recidivating. And really where we need to focus is on the people who have committed violent crimes, people that have committed sex crimes. I want them to be incentivized to be rehabilitated before they're released to be my neighbors. So, so you're saying that the resources that are devoted to lowering recidivism, that is to say giving people various training and skills to more easily integrate back into uh, being on the outside of prison, uh, all that's focused on people who have the lowest risk to begin with? That's correct. That's correct. Um, because politically, no one in the Senate, or at least not a significant number of Republicans in the Senate, were unwilling to vote for a bill that would provide a lot of people who have committed violent crimes with a way of seeking early release, even though the whole purpose, the whole principle behind the bill is incentivize people to be rehabilitated so when they get out they don't commit new crimes. That would apply equally to people who committed violent crimes as nonviolent crimes. Help me understand the, the broad coalition that was uh, involved in this effort. It is it, some other reform efforts have come tantalizingly close to becoming law, ultimately uh, failing. 
there is obviously you're strongly affiliated with Families Against Mandatory Minimums. We should not and cannot, and uh, although sometimes it pains me to say it, we cannot forget the contributions of Kim Kardashian and uh, Kanye West for really bringing a, uh, a focus to the issue that it honestly would not have received otherwise. But, no, but in, in terms of the other groups, who who should we uh, make note of and individuals? I, I think what's been neat about this process is watching people with wildly different political views come together. You had both Heritage Foundation, the American Conservative Union Foundation, R Street on the one hand, and then on the other, ACLU and the Brennan Center and the NAACP. I mean, the neat thing about criminal justice reform is it may be the last bipartisan issue in America. And there were lots of people that really pushed for this for many years, FAM being one of them. Is common ground, uh, e will, will that be easy to find for uh, whatever the next reform effort, absent any implementation efforts, but it, the next reform effort, will that common ground be easy to find? I think so. I think some groups will not want to go as far as other groups. Um, you know, most of the groups wanted to go farther with this bill. It's the reason why the bill didn't go farther was not because the experts and the groups that handle criminal justice reform, both on the right and the left, didn't want the bill to have a bigger impact. It was solely because politically this is all we could get at this moment in time. And the hope is, you know, that we go back to the new Congress next year, the year after, and seek a lot more reform because most of these reforms is only going to increase public safety and change lives for the better. Sean Hopwood teaches law at Georgetown University. 2018 is almost over, and I'd like to ask you to consider supporting the Cato Podcast and the broad mission of the Cato Institute by joining our podcast sponsor program, Visit Cato.org slash podcast sponsor to learn more of the benefits of sponsorship. That's Cato.org slash podcast sponsor. 